Justice and power must be brought together so that whatever is just may be powerful and whatever is powerful may be just. Blaise Pascal Yet as I read through the birth stories about Jesus, I cannot help but conclude that though the world may be tilted towards the rich and powerful, God is tilted toward the underdog. Philip Yancey Only in the cross of Christ will we receive power when we are powerless. We will find strength when we are weak. We will experience hope when our situation is hopeless. Only in the cross is there peace for our troubled hearts. Michael Yusuf Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little and they always fail. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and his presence to be with them. Hudson Taylor My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus Good morning. Whether you're here in person or online or at one of our locations, great to be together again. I know, four weeks in a row. <laughs> We're almost done. But it is good to be together. And we've been busy, haven't we? We've been taking inventory in this We Are Here series of things that we feel like God is saying to us that are pretty important as a church here at base camp, setting up in between legs of our journey. We've been huddled around the fire doing a lot, haven't we? We've had a lot of practices together. We reminded ourselves of what our purpose is, knowing and becoming more like Jesus. This is not just a spatial or a temporal journey we're on. It's one of transformation. We practiced celebrating, reminding who God is, fixing our eyes on that destination. We practiced lament and confession and repentance, realizing that sometimes we get off track and we need to reset ourselves towards Jesus. We scanned the environment from a macro perspective, from a micro perspective, and we talked about equipping ourselves with a paradigm, a Jesus-centered, centered set way of navigating the next leg of our journey together. And last week, we spent some time on reconciliation, recognizing that relationships get impacted along the way on an extreme journey, and we need to pay attention and constantly be reconciling and renewing our relationships with God and one another. And hopefully it's clear, but it's worth mentioning, these are not just one-and-done practices, are they? We don't just leave base camp and stop doing these things. They're tools that we're constantly going back to as followers of Jesus, as those exploring his way together on a daily and a weekly and a monthly and a yearly basis as a church community. And we're going to continue that today, and today's might feel a little bit different. Extreme adventurers are good at looking ahead and saying, what are the obstacles that are going to be on our path? Not because we are afraid of them, but because we need to be equipped to understand them and to navigate them well together. And we really sense that God's been saying to us as a church that one of those obstacles is the powers that play around us and the way that we use power as a church. And we need to develop and maintain and sustain and lead into a Jesus-centered way of understanding and using power inside of our community for the next leg of our journey. And I'm privileged and honored to have the responsibility of helping put words to some things that we sense God has been saying to us 
as a broader community. As we've listened over recent months, this is one of the themes, along with others that we've been talking about, that has risen to the surface that we, collectively, as a body, care about. And I enter into this conversation very self-aware of my own identity and how it affords me power and privilege through my gender, through my race, through my education, through my sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. And I take that really seriously, and I want to say that, that I enter this conversation as a fellow student, a fellow disciple of the way of Jesus. And it's not only better, but necessary for us to have these conversations together as a body, isn't it? Especially these topics can't just be about a paid professional holy person dispensing answers. We need to submit to the way of Jesus, root our understanding of something like power in Scripture and in how it points us to Christ. And that's what we're going to do together today. So I'd invite you on that journey along with me. I know for me, and I think for many of us, it can be really tempting in a conversation like this to immediately jump to the human manifestations of what power looks like in our world. Issues that really matter and are important, like justice and poverty, etc. But sometimes if we race too fast to humanize these issues, we miss the bigger reality of the spiritual realm that's at play. And we reduce Christianity to just a commentary on the weakness of the secular system. We have a lot more to offer than that. We have transformation towards Jesus as an offer for one another and for those looking in. So we want to start with an understanding of what are these powers that are at play? What are we really talking about here? Scripture paints a very interesting picture of power at play. Throughout Scripture and throughout the words of Jesus, we see this dual reality of both the spiritual realm and the way that realm manifests in an earthly way. We see the picture of power at play on a macro basis, but also within and inside of us on a micro basis. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You can see that interplay woven throughout that verse, and that's true throughout Scripture. The both end of the spiritual realm and the way it manifests on the front lines of humanity. In Romans 7.23 says this, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. This is our friend Paul talking once again. If we reduce power to just something happening spiritually or just manifesting in a systemic way at large in society, we can forget about and ignore and downplay our agency as human beings that Christ has given us and our role in bringing and advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. And if we reduce power, on the other hand, to just something material and just something that's happening here in the physical realm, we lose sight of the bigger cosmic picture and reality around us, that Christ has defeated these powers, and that there is a spiritual realm happening around us. Hey, if we're here to follow Jesus or learn what Jesus is about, we acknowledge that there's something happening spiritually. So that realm is real. And here's where being Jesus-centered makes all the difference. Colossians 1 reminds us that 
Everything was created in and through and by and for Jesus, and he has dominion over all. Things in this world and things in the unseen world. And later in Colossians 2, I think we've got this one here, we're reminded that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, if I could read, by the cross. So what's with the theology lesson here? There's a big point at the start of our conversation about power. The cosmos belongs to Jesus. Everything that was ever created was created in and through him. He owns the powers. And he's defeated and disarmed them on the cross. We've been liberated from the powers of the world around us and the dark spiritual realm. Christ has won that battle. This changes the way that we live. It means that we're not entering the world every day with our back against the wall, threatened and afraid, feeling like we need to change the world and push back and create a new reality. No, it means that the scale has fallen off of our eyes and we can see reality for how it actually is. That we have already been liberated from these powers. And we have the gift of sharing that liberation with those around us who have not yet seen it. That's a fundamentally different paradigm with which to enter the world every morning. And these powers manifest around us in different ways, don't they? Jesus was tempted by this power over way of the world by Satan himself. You can read about that in Luke chapter 4. He was tempted by powers that manifest in material and economic power, in political power, and in military power, and in religious power. Some things never change, do they? 2,000 years later, those systems are alive and well in the world around us. We need not be afraid, but we need to be aware, just like Jesus was. So, you may have noticed a pattern over the past few weeks. We're going to study what Jesus tells us about the way to live. And we're going to do that through Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it up, or you can open up a Bible app, or check out this Scripture when you get home. Some of our locations have Bibles, and we can get you one if you'd like. We're going to open it up back to the book of Philippians again. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read from 5 to 10 together. And I'd encourage us to see the way Jesus uses power in this scripture. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here's Jesus, with every right and ability to use power over people. And what does he do? He descends as low as possible and empties himself of his privileges, of his rights, 
into a posture of servanthood and obedience to God, a posture of power under. And he doesn't pretend as though he has none. In fact, in the verse right after he's tempted by Satan in Luke 4, we're reminded he's filled with the Spirit's power. And we see that again here. As he descends low, God lifts him up. In Christ's weakness, he himself is even filled with God's power. He's establishing a way of using power for us that is completely opposite to the way of the world. And unless we, th- lest we think that this is just Jesus telling us or Paul telling us how Jesus lives, there's that verse 5. Says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So, this involves us too, everybody. This is the model for how we are to live a model of power under servanthood that not only tolerates our weakness, but embraces it in the crazy upside down or maybe right side up kingdom of God way. So, this is not how the world uses power, is it? Matthew 20, in Jesus' own words, reminds us how the the world uses power. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we need to ask ourselves important questions as a church, as the broader church, about how sometimes we can be complicit in using power the way the world uses power. We need to pay attention to the temptation for churches to really look more like empires than models of suffering and sacrifice and power under servanthood. See, if we're co-opted and tempted by the same powers that tempted Jesus, material and economic growth, political control, even religious power, then it makes sense that we'll organize ourselves around achieving goals like growth and self-preservation. But if we adopt the posture of Jesus and we reestablish our purpose as transforming to know and become more like him, then all of a sudden, the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, they're not people that are just weighing on our goals of growing and sustaining and getting more power. We're sharing our liberation with one another from those powers and inviting people into a kingdom that embraces everybody for their value and where everybody's got a role to play in this body together and where we're sharing power with one another. It fundamentally changes the way we exist as a church when we adopt Jesus' posture of power under. And this is why we care about issues like justice and issues like poverty. It's why we're willing to do the hard work of pressing into conversations around diversity and what it means for certain people groups to be marginalized. Not because we're trying to be politically correct and to score points. Because we believe that that's what it means to use our power under in service to one another. 
in creating a church where everyone's honored as part of the body of Christ and where the full diversity of his body is on display in all of its beauty. No slave, no free, no Jew or Gentile in Christ's kingdom. Amen. And we really believe that this is at the root of a lot of dynamics within our church and a church like ours in very practical and very real ways. It impacts the way that we interact with macro-systemic issues like justice and poverty. But it also impacts the way that we form and shape very specific things that are happening within our church community as well. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the idea of concept cars. I love concept cars. I've always loved concept cars. If you're not familiar with concept cars and you're wondering what I'm talking about, I'll explain. Sometimes car manufacturers like to create these weird, futuristic-looking models or prototypes of a car, not because they'll necessarily end up rolling off the production line one day, but they challenge us into putting flesh and bones, or metal and plastic, as it were, onto ideas and making them real enough to interact with and stretch our mind towards what could be possible. I've always thought that's a great way to think about certain aspects of life. What does our concept car look like as we forge into the future? We've got an image of a few of them up there. I don't even know where you're supposed to sit in that thing. I think that one was actually created for the latest Avatar movie, for all of you movie buffs. But see, they, they stretch our imagination, but they go through at least enough effort to make it real enough to have to think through some of what it could look like to put these ideas in motion. I'd invite you to just dream with me for a minute about some concept cars for our church. What, is, what are the possibilities for a church like ours as we think about how we interact with and engage with power? I see a concept car around the issue of empowerment. What it means to be a church that's distributing and directing power outwards. Not trying to be a center of gravity that is bringing it inside to hold up the institution or in the hands of a few people. But where the direction of energy is outward, where the power is in the hands of our local communities that are sent to disciple one another, to bring the good news into our neighborhoods. Where the diverse giftings within our body are activated. Where we actually have tools and ways of understanding how each of us have been gifted and how that can contribute to the way that we get involved and serve the church. And where power isn't concentrated just in the hands of a certain type of gift or a certain one or two particular gift sets but that we activate and embrace the diversity of giftings across the body. And where, as leadership, we take seriously how a Jesus-centered, power-under way of serving impacts the way we structure leadership, the roles of leader in a, leaders in a church. We learn in Ephesians 4 that what is the role of the church to equip the body to do the good works? That's a fundamentally different way of looking at what leadership is, even in a church community like ours. I think of a concept car around the way that we listen and discern as a church. 
We use language like community hermeneutic at the Meeting House, which is just a fancy way to say the way that we interpret our reality, the way that we listen to God together, is in community, and we give voice to one another as we make decisions and discern our direction as a church. That requires a power under listening, serving, sacrificing way of being as a church. And I think about diversity. I think about the reasons why it's important for us to be accountable to investing in women, to be investing in racial inclusion and diversity within our community, and many other axes of diversity. Again, not just because we want to be politically correct, but because we believe that that's what it means to take a power under posture. And that means those of us who have power and influence need to get in the game and be involved and adopt that posture of servanthood and power under. Because we want the fullness of the body of Christ to be represented in our midst, don't we? Amen. And so often, the message we explicitly or implicitly send to marginalized people groups is, bootstrap your way there, you go try and get more power and we'll see you at the finish line. But that's not the way of Jesus. We're called to lay it down and to serve one another with the power under posture. So we're still learning all these things. We're not starting from zero, but we're still learning. And we need a posture of humility and submission to Jesus and his power within us, made possible by us emptying ourselves, embracing our weakness so that we can invite his power in, in order to move in this direction together. But it is a hopeful direction for us. And I want to invite you on that journey. So we're going to leave today's teaching with a question. Wherever you're at on the spectrum in a conversation like this, this requires all of us leaning in together. So I want to ask us this question. What would taking a power under posture of servanthood look like for you in your meeting house community where you are? What would taking a power under posture of servanthood look like for you in your meeting house community where you are? Maybe we can reflect on that individually. We can reflect on that in our home churches, in our discipleship relationships, and we can reflect on that as larger communities together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that though you are the God of all power and might, you don't Lord it over us. You chose to enter into our condition and empty yourself and place yourself in a posture of servanthood, using your power to love us, to show us your mercy and your grace, and to offer the gift of liberation and freedom to every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Will you help us this week, Jesus, today, this moment, this week, this month, this year, in all aspects of our life, to understand and embrace what it means to do the same, to take a power under posture of servanthood to one another, receiving your love and sharing it with one another as we advance your kingdom here on earth. We pray this in your name.
Amen.